Well, happy Pentecost Sunday, everybody. Woohoo! Today is Pentecost Sunday. And you may be saying, well, what is Pentecost Sunday? You know, it often gets overshadowed. Like, we spend a lot of focus on Easter and the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But 40 days later, Pastor Wendy was talking last week during her message about the ascension, which was 30 days after the resurrection. He ascended up onto, into hot, and the disciples stood there like, oh my goodness, what's happening? All of a sudden, two angels were like, hey, guys, don't be focused there. It's the same way he left. It's the same way he's going to return. But then 10 days later, they were doing what Jesus told them to do. He said, wait in, in, in Jerusalem until you receive the promise from heaven, which was the Holy Spirit. And so that's exactly what they did. And so today is the anniversary of Pentecost Sunday, where the Holy Spirit came in like a rushing wind. It sat upon them with like tongues of fire. They began to speak with other tongues, and they filled out into the streets of Jerusalem. People started saying, oh, man, these guys are just drunk. And Peter said, no, they're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. That's not what's going on here. They're filled with the Spirit. This is what the prophet Joel prophesied about. He said that all flesh will be filled. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dream. Your young men shall have visions. Come on. That was an active thing that happened on the day of Pentecost. And, you know, it's good that we celebrate Easter. But Easter is a remembrance of what will happen. Pentecost is what you're supposed to live in in a daily basis. It's not something that ended with the disciples way back then. It says the promise is to all those who believe as many as are afar off. And so if you think about you, you're like 2,000 years from that, that first day. And this is the anniversary where, man, it was for you. When Peter got up and he said, it's those who are afar off, he was seeing you. The Holy Spirit is for you today. There is an infilling that you can partake of. You can begin to speak with other tongues. You can uh, tap into those heavenly equippings and gifts that only the Holy Spirit can bring. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, miracles and healings, discerning of spirits, faith. Come on, there's so much that we can tap into. You know, we're not preaching a message today on the Holy Spirit, but if you want to get and learn more, we spent six months on it in 2021 in the second half of the year. You can go to wordchurch.ca, and it will all be there that you can get up to speed on that. But today is the day we live in remembrance and live in application of it. Come on. The gifts aren't done away with. They've not passed away with. The Holy Spirit's still not trying. He's not done transforming lives in our day. Let him start with you. Let him then go on to your neighbor. Let him go on down the guy down the street. Let's transform this world with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because Jesus said you'll receive power or dunamis or mountain-moving, miracle-working power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Come on, that is for you today. It was not just for Jesus. Jesus said the same works that I do, you'll do, and greater. And we're still wrapping our minds around that saying, well, we can't even do what Jesus did. No, he said, my works and greater. Come on, we've got a great call that is on the body of Christ in this day. Not just his works, but greater. Go ahead and say it. I'm ready to walk walk. in greater. greater. I'm ready to move when the Holy Spirit moves. I'm ready to speak when he gives me words to speak. I'm ready to listen when he speaks to my heart. I will be obedient. Man, the Holy Spirit, he brought power with him when you receive him. 
You know, it's, it's so sad that so much of the body of Christ has rejected the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he did a work in you at salvation. He made you a new creation. He made you a, a, a house that is habitable for the Lord. But he said, no, it's not just about that, that salvation. Wait for the Holy Spirit and receive him. Yes. You know, I think about Philip. Man, after, after things got a little tough in Jerusalem, he's like, okay, let, let's move off. And he went off into Samaria, and he preached the good news in Samaria. And many were saved, and many were healed. And it says when the disciples at Jerusalem heard that, they then sent Peter and John down so they could receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But if you got it when you saved, why would they need that? It already said that Philip had already gotten them saved, and he'd already gotten them healed. Because there's a next step that you can receive. You can receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Man, when Paul ran into uh, some disciples at Ephesus, he said, have you guys been filled with the Holy Spirit? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit yet. And as Paul prayed for them and they began to speak with other tongues. You know, we think of Peter when he went to the household of Cornelius. While he was still even just preaching his message, the power of God fell on them and they began to speak in other tongues and magnify God. So there is more for you. Don't leave it on the table. Pentecost Sunday is a remembrance and a reminder to still walk in that today. Amen? Well, we've been talking about a different type of power, though, for the last few weeks. We've been talking about where Jesus said, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. And he said, Therefore, you take it and you go. And that word authority is the word exousia, which means delegated power and authority. Where Jesus said, I've got all the authority. He, he rose up victorious from the grave, right? Yes. He rose up victorious. Can we all agree on that? Yes. Well, Paul said that if you were identified in the death, you'll also be identified in the resurrection. So if he rose up with all power, where do you think you got? What do you think you have? You're seated together with him in heavenly places. Yes. That when he said, all power has been given unto me, you go. He's saying, hey, you are not ill-equipped. You are not missing something. Come on. That is really important to remember. Because when we hit hard times, sometimes it's like, okay, what do I need? You don't need anything. You've got Jesus. You've got all power. You've got the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul had to remind uh, the Colossians. He said, you are complete in him. Come on, there's no lack mentality in you. There's no lack of opportunity. Why don't we say that? I do not lack. I don't lack for opportunity. I don't lack for power. I don't lack for money. I don't lack for any good thing. Because he said, if he did not spare his own son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Oh, come on, don't shut off on me now. All power. And authority was given to him. Yes. And he said, here, take it. Go. Do something with it. Impact this world. You know what they said about the disciples when they came into one city? They said, the men who have turned the world upside down have come to us. That same power lives in you. Yes. Man, we can start now. Ray's here. Come on. The man who's going to turn the world upside down is here. Come on, James, John, Katie, everybody in this room. That should, is the, the calling that we've been called into to turn this world upside down for Jesus. And he didn't leave you ill-equipped. He's given you authority. You have authority in Jesus. 
And so we've been spending a lot of time talking about the believer's authority, and we took a long detour into hope. And we're not going to preach on hope today, but there's something that I want to jump off of from here when it comes to whenever we preach on hope or whenever we preach on faith, there's inevitably certain mindsets that come out and certain questions that get asked, and some people don't realize that how their statements are actually questions. So when I say things like hope thrives in the face of adversity, on Wednesday on our Midweek Hunger, and if you haven't been listening to the Midweek Hungers, you can find those on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, or on wordchurch.ca forward slash hunger. Usually it's between like, you know, three and seven minutes long, something to encourage you. Sometimes they're extra thoughts about what we're talking about on our Sunday messages. Sometimes they're independent thoughts. But this week, we were dealing with this question that I've heard many times throughout the years. And that is, when you talk about hope and faith, are you not really just denying what's really going on, Pastor Jordan? I don't want to find myself in denial. Like, this situation really exists, right? I'm not going to deny it. No. Hope and faith are not denial. Come on, don't get quiet on me here. Hope and faith are not denying that the situation is present. Hope and faith are not denying that there's something going on in your life that you don't approve of or you don't want to be present. It's not saying it does not exist. And God is not asking you to deny that it's real. Come on, I've heard this so many times over the years, so we might as well just address it pretty strongly. I felt it needed more than just those three minutes on Wednesday. It's not denial. We're not denying something else, that something is actually going on. And I understand the mindset behind it. You know that in our society, we spend a lot of time basically in escapism. We're trying to escape what's going on and soothe some of our hurts. You know, think about even the way that we treat our jobs. Everybody's living for the weekend. Why? Thank God it's Friday. Now the crap's over. I can have a fun time on the weekend because my life sucks for five days of the week. I might as well get drunk and party for three days. Come on. That's escapism. Come on. You all know that it's true, right? We, we all have, to have those feelings. Oh, my goodness. The rough part is over. Now I can have fun. How come you don't just enjoy all seven days of the week? If there's something wrong with the five days... Maybe look into, maybe there's some changes I should make. Yes. Maybe I'm not in the right career. Maybe this isn't, job isn't a good fit for me. Maybe I need to make some attitude changes in myself. Yes. Come on, rather than just trying to get to the weekend so that I can go sit on the boat for three days. And I have nothing wrong with going and spending time on the lake. I love to get out and kayak. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But it's why you do it is the thing. You don't need to escape your life. We do it with our social media. We open it up to look for something exciting. You know, we need that dopamine hit. It's like, oh, that looks nice. Because we're looking at our life and saying, this is not so nice. We do it in our Netflix binge watching. We'd rather watch somebody else's story than live in ours. And so just because in our so social cir circles we like to escape, you're not looking for escape when it comes to the things of God. We're not looking to deny something's going on or avoid a situation. If your way of looking at hope and faith is causing you to avoid addressing something, it's not hope and faith. God never asked you to deny things that were going on in your life. You know what he did ask you to do? He said, 
deny yourself and take up my life. He didn't say deny the world. He said deny your strength. Deny your ability and take up my strength and my ability. So I, I don't want to just escape a situation. And so it's important for us to evaluate why we do what we do. I'm not looking just to escape. I want to introduce a solution to it. And that solution is Jesus. That solution is letting hope rise again, being like, I'm not trapped. I'm not stuck. This victory that Jesus said I have, I actually have it. Regardless of how it looks, I know if I if something's going to change, and it's not going to be me or Jesus. It's going to be the situation I'm in. So I'm not going to deny it. I'm going to overcome it. You've been called to be an overcomer in Christ Jesus. So, as we got into hope for those five weeks, we did it through one of Paul's prayers. Remember, in Ephesians chapter 3. And so, in answering this question, I want to look to another prayer that is not very much looked at. And that is found in the book of Philemon. So, if you're following in your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. It's one of those little, little books. It's only one chapter sandwiched in between Titus and Hebrews. And Philemon, interesting little book. One chapter long. It's one of Paul's personal letters. We spend a lot of time in his letters to the church of Corinth, Ephesus, Colossae, Thessaloniki, but he wrote some personal letters to Timothy, his traveling companion, and the one he was mentoring to take over for him. He wrote a letter to Titus, and here we find he's writing a letter to Philemon. Who was Philemon? You guys ready for a little backstory? Philemon was a member of the Church of Colossae. So when he wrote to the Colossians, Philemon would have been one of those ones. He was an important, influential person in the Church at Colossae and in that city. He was a slave owner. And we go, oh, there were slaves in the Bible? Yes, he was a slave owner. And he was very influential in the spread of the gospel through Colossae. And what happened was one of his slaves named Onesimus. He took off, as slaves sometimes do. I don't want to be your slave anymore, Philemon. I'm taking off out of here. And in the process of time, he finds himself in Rome. And who else do we find in Rome at that time? Paul as a person in prison. And somehow, we don't know how the connection happened. We're never told. Somehow, Paul and Onesimus gets hooked up, and Onesimus becomes a Christian. And then Paul finds out that Onesimus was the slave of his friend, Philemon. And so, Onesimus ministers to Paul and takes care of him. Well, he's, he's one of the guys that is looking after Paul while he's in prison in Rome. And along the process of time, Paul says, you know what, Onesimus? You need to go back to Philemon and make things right. And so he sends Onesimus back, and he writes this letter, the book of Philemon, to him. And he starts off with this prayer. I thank my God, making mention of you in my, always in my prayer. So what Philemon is someone who's become pretty important to Paul. We don't know how, how, how much interaction they had had, but Paul prays for him daily. And he says, hearing of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. And so when Onesimus departed, he was not one of the brothers. He was not one of the saints. 
But now Paul is sending him back as one. And so he says to Philemon, I've got something you lost. It's <laughs> basically if you want to bear it. He's like, once the missus has been here, and I need you to know he has been so good for me. But I could command you to let him stay, but I'm not going to. And if he owes you anything, you put it on my account. You know what Paul was saying? He's a runaway slave. If you're going to beat him, if you're going to whip him, if you're going to brand him, whatever it is, you do that to me on his behalf. Because I need you to know that he left a slave. He's returning your brother. And so this is a very complicated letter that Paul's writing to Philemon. This is a touchy subject. You know, we look back and we're like, oh, slavery is so wrong, but it was common for them. And so that's why Paul has odd admonitions. He's like, if you're a master, be a good master. If you're a servant, be a good servant as brothers in the Lord. And so he's saying the status of one submiss has changed. Don't treat him like you used to. And Philemon, your status has changed. Don't act like you used to. And so he's writing this letter to him. And it says, that I've heard of your love and faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, and here is his prayer. He says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. That the sharing of your faith. When we re read that in, in our just nat natural English understanding, what do we think he's talking about? We think he's talking about sharing the good news of Jesus. Sharing your faith. And that is a good message. That is a needed message. That is a good message for today. That is a needed message for today. You know, we have to understand that much of the body of Christ does not think it's even right to share your faith. And you go, oh, how is that possible? I know what the statistics are. Here's what they are. In under 40... 94 to 97% in that range of Christians under 40 say that getting saved was one of the best things that ever happened to them. You would seem that that's pretty good. I'm kind of like, what, what about that other 6%? What, what have they experienced of Jesus that they're like, yeah, it wasn't that great? Come on. Come on. That's just what the stat is. 94 to 97% say getting saved was one of the best days of their lives. But over, I think it's 52% say that it's wrong to share your faith. So something that you considered to be the best day of your life, you don't want to share with someone else. So that's it. Sharing your faith is a good message and a needed message. Come on, we believe that the gift of evangelism is at work in this church. It's rising up on the inside of us. Every day you interact with someone who's going to hell and we don't want them to go there. And it's not because God's like mean and like, I want them to go to hell for what they've done. No, it's our choice. He gives us the choice. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. He says, how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone is sent to them? You are the sent ones. You notice that Jesus, when he said to his disciples, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Oh, but that's just for the evangelist in specific. No, there was people in those 12 disciples that he was talking. Actually, it was 11 at the time because one was dead. There was a of those 11 people that he was talking to. Some were evangelists. 
Some ended up being pastors. Some ended up being apostles that went and built churches other places. So there was different giftings given to them, but it was a part of all of their call to share the gospel. And it doesn't matter where you fit in the body of Christ, you've been called to share the gospel, to share the love and the good news of Jesus. That life doesn't have to suck. You have a joy in Jesus. You can have a confident hope and expectation of good things to come in Jesus. So it's a good message, and it's a needed message, but it's not the message that Paul's telling to Philemon. We need to actually look at what he is saying to him. And the reason why we think that he's saying, share, talk about Jesus to others, is because of the word sharing. And we think, oh, Rob, could you come on up and share your story with someone? What are we thinking? Get up and talk. Get up and speak. But that's not the word that Paul used here. It's the word kinonia, which means fellowship or association, or community, or communion, or joint participation. Now, when we started this church, our our original name, and it's our legal name, is Word of Faith Fellowship. And why? We didn't want to just be a church. We wanted a place where people come together, and they actually have relationships with one another. It's not just blow in and blow out. You know, I stopped for a few minutes of the message, and I'm out. No, we want to be a community of believers that can support each other, build each other up, bless each other, pray for one another, believe with one another. That's why we called ourselves Word of Faith Fellowship. And as the years went on over, fellowship kind of took on a a negative connotation where people started associating more with like cult-like things. And we're like, okay, let's go back to being church. But when we talk about fellowship, it's about us participating together. When he talks about community, all of you are part of this community. You all play a part. When we think about communion, you know, Jessica brought up uh, communion this morning. When we talk about communion, it's about us participating in the death, the burial, and the resurrection, in participating in remembrance. You have been called to be a joint participator together with Jesus. And so when he says sharing, he's talking about you working with him and playing a part. And we can really see that through the last definition of kinonia, which is intercourse. And yes, that means sex. And you know, he's not saying have sex with God and stuff like that. Some, I know there's some Christians that have said that in the past, and it's weird, and it's creepy, and it's gross, and get rid of that thinking. Okay? But when you talk about this, what is the intercourse? We have the saying, it takes two to tango, right? There's two involved. And so he's saying to Philemon that your participation in faith, your joint participation in faith will become active or effective when you acknowledge what's already on the inside of you. We can see this when we dig a little bit deeper at the root of the word kinonia, which means partner or partaker or a sharer in anything. So when he says, I want you to be a partner together with your faith. I want you to become active in faith by partnering with it. There is a difference between hearing the word and saying, that sounds great, and saying, I believe it. Let's go do it. There is a big difference. Let's say that again. It's not just about that sounds great. It's about saying, I believe. 
I'm going to walk this out. Isn't that what happened at salvation? When someone shared the good news with you, you didn't say, oh, that's real great. You said, no, I believe. Jesus, I receive you into my life right now. I believe that you, God, you raised him from the dead. I'm now a new creation. There was a participation together. And faith, your faith life of walking out what God has said is possible to you is you participating together with him and believing. And so he said to, to Philemon that your participation will get better when you start to acknowledge what's already in you. Whew, that's great. Come on. When you understand what's already on the inside of you. Why did we start with you're complete in Christ? You're not ill-equipped. There's nothing missing. Because you need to know what's already on the inside of you. All good things. There's nothing missing. Nothing broken. Jehovah Shalom has got in your life. He has brought peace and wholeness and completion. That's what's on the inside. And as you begin to acknowledge what's already in you, faith comes alive and you grab hold with it. And that's why James said, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. And so he's reminding Philemon, I'm about to send Onesimus back. Don't act like the old you. Remember what's on the inside of you. Be different. Change. And that's something good for us. Don't live like the old you. Remember who's inside you. Change. So let's see this played out. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, we find this same word that was interpreted share in Philemon 1, 6 is interpreted different in 2 Corinthians 1, 7. And here's what Paul said. Tailing into what we were talking about hope, he says, and our hope for you is steadfast. Come on, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He says, our hope for you, church at Corinth, is steadfast. Because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also will you partake of the consolation or the comfort or of the victory. So Paul's saying, guys, as you've been forced to participate in the problem, trouble, trial, accidents, whatever, it's come. Now that you've partaken of that, go ahead and partake in comfort. He didn't say deny the problem, deny the trouble. He said, go ahead and partake in the victory. Woo! <laughs> and he goes on in the next verse, just if we're talking about this is not denial, he says, for we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even to life. That's not somebody who's denying the situation. He's fully acknowledging we had a rough go. We thought we were going to die. We hit the end of our strength. Now, when we look at this theologically, some people say the words that he uses here could have to do with an illness. I don't see it when I look through here, but some people believe that Paul almost died when he was in Asia. I don't know about that. We do know his traveling companion, Epaphroditus, almost died. He said that, hey, guys, he said to the church of Philippi, I'm sending Epaphroditus with this letter for you. Um, receive him back in. I know you were worried about him because he almost died. And then Paul tells them, tells them why he almost died. You guys used to support me financially, and you stopped. And so Epaphroditus, he almost died trying to supply what you lacked. 
Come on. That's, that's how he got in that position. He was overworking himself so that the work and the mission could go on. We all have a part to play. And unfortunately, in the body of Christ today, a lot of people are doing, the, or little people are doing a work of the lot. And it goes to the same principle if we look across, the 80-20 rule. Usually 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give 80% of the money. And it's not just in churches, it's across worldwide. I remember a few years ago, and Joanne, you might know the new statistics, uh, CRA said that about 20% of the people who give to charities supply 80% of their of what they bring in. And so I don't think it's changed much. The same principle is. And so Paul's saying, Church of Philippi, there was what stuff you were supposed to do in and you stopped, but we're glad you've now started again. And I'm going to send the guy who almost died doing what you should have done to encourage your heart. And so I don't think Paul was the one that was about to die here in, in the Asia situation. It could have been, and we just don't know about it, but we know Epaphroditus was. But there was other things happening in Asia. You want to know what they were? Okay, let's go over to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time here. Acts 19 and verse 11 is where we'll start. It says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. You're like, well, Pastor Jordan, that doesn't sound like trouble. It sounds like Paul's doing a good work in Asia. Let's just let the story play out. It says, So that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them that sounds like a great time it seems like they're doing a good work in asia let's keep going verse 13 says then some of the itinerant jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the lord jesus over those who had evil spirits saying we exercise you by the jesus whom paul preaches. If we're going to talk about the believer's authority, uh, they said, um, we want to exercise you by the God whom Paul preaches. It's not the God whom they believe. Come on. The, it tells us specifically that these are not Christians. These are Jews. And they're Jewish exorcists. They try to exercise demons for money. So this is them trying to add a new skill to their repertoire. They've seen Paul speak to demons and say, come out in the name of Jesus. And it happened. They're like, hey, we can make some money doing this. And so here they find out, no, they can't, because it says there were son, seven sons of Sceva and a Jewish priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And if you were to do the same thing, they'd be like, yes, I know who John is, and I don't mess with John. I know who uh, Tracy is, I don't mess with Tracy. But here when it came to these unbelievers trying to use the name of Jesus, it's not for them. It could be if they receive Jesus. And so when you've got authority, you said they know Jesus and they know Paul. Yes. They know your name. Yes. I don't mess with them. Yes. Come on. And so they, they weren't having it from these uh, seven exorcists. And it says, then the man whom they, and the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, and they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So not only did they lose, they lost badly. They lost their own clothes, and they streaked out of there, bleeding and bloody and naked. How embarrassing for them. And this became known to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and Ephesus is where Asia, when Paul talks about Asia, this is where we would say modern-day Turkey, that was Asia to them. It was the Roman province of Asia. 
And it says it became well known to those dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on all of them. And this is a holy awe and reverence. It's not that they were afraid of God. They were like, oh my goodness, something different has come to us. And it says, and the Lord, name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came, confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Saying, Pastor Jordan, where is the trouble that Paul talked about in Asia? Sounds like they're having a great time. Yeah. And I want this to be a warning. When things are going well, that's when it ticks off the enemy. And he wants to get in your face and say, we got to stop this momentum. we got to stop this movement. We, gotta, we, gotta, we can't let them take another step, another ground. And so he's going to throw the whole cart, cart and the horse in front of you when things are going well for you. And you need to know that doesn't matter what he throws your way. You just go, no thanks. And we have to say that because so many people, when the problem hits, they go, ah! You're going to say, no thanks. Don't let your emotions engage with it. It may have an initial, and then be like, no, we're good. It's just like Moses. Moses had one of those moments of the Red Sea. Tells everybody, it's okay, everybody, just stop, just stop. God will fight for us. And God says, no, move forward. And so his reaction was, okay, God can just handle it. And God's saying, no. What did he say to Moses? Stretch out your hand and go forward. And so the problem hits. Go, no. I won't be moved. So things were going good. And when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed within his spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and to Acacia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also go to Rome. So Paul's saying, I think we're done in Asia. I'm going to go through Macedonia, Acacia. I want to stop at Jerusalem, and I want to hit Rome. And so he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. I love that. You know, we call ourselves Christians, right? We talk about being part of the church. I like what they did better. They say, I'm part of the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to him but through, comes to the Father but through him. He's a way out of whatever situation you're in. He makes a way where there is no way. When it seems like it's dark, man, let the way be opened before you. And so there was a great commotion about the way. For certain, a man named Demetrius and a silversmith who made silver shrines to Diana brought no small profit to the craftsmen. And he called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. And moreover, you see and you hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made by hands. And so not only is this trade of ours in danger, falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised in her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they had heard this, they were full of wrath, and they cried out, saying, 
Great is Diana. So what was the commotion that was fueled against them? They were saying, we're going to lose some money. Come on, isn't it funny how money seems to fuel people's anger, fuel people's enjoyment, changes their perspective on things? As soon as they realize, hey, if they're not serving Diana, we can't sell our crap, therefore we lose our money, and we've made lots of it doing this. And so we know that the stuff they already burned was worth 50,000 pieces of silver, and that was a lot of money back then. And so they were ticked. And just to sum up the rest, because we don't have time to read through all the rest of it, basically they get, get up there, they get the whole crowd and the whole mob going, and they grab some of Paul's guys and they drag them in, and what they're going to do is they're going to beat them to death. They're right there. Like, these guys are not leaving this meeting. And so some are like, guys, we need to calm the city down. And they're like, no, great is Diana. Great is our goddess. Great. And they just keep fueling it. And finally Paul says, guys, I'm going to go talk to them. And they said, no. And he's like, I'm ready to die right here, right now, for the cause of Christ. Let me talk to them. And he said, no. You stay right there, Paul. But they're going to beat and kill my friends. You stay right there. And you're thinking, this is, doesn't sound like a very happy story, Pastor Jordan. Where is God's victory? Where is God's deliverance? Where is that overcoming that you've been talking about? Let the story progress. Let the story of your life progress. I said a few weeks ago that when you have trouble in front of you, it's just another opportunity to write a new story of hope. Every story of the Bible began with a problem and ended in a victory. The story of your life may look like a problem right now. Walk the process. Let it end in victory. And so while they're saying, Paul, you can't go out there, they'll just kill you right on the spot. You're the one that they're looking for. And you know what happened? God made a way. The city clerk got up. And he's like, guys, 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 guys. Now, everybody doesn't even know all why we're here, but everybody's mad and everybody's yelling, everybody's talking. It's like, if we keep this up, the city guards are going to come, and then we're all in trouble. They're going to send in the Romans, and we don't want that. You know, the Jews knew a few thing or two about that. They ticked off the Romans so much that the Romans just came in and smashed the city to the ground. It's like, we can't have revolt going on in the city. And so he made a way of escape through a completely natural means. And someone who wasn't even a part of their group. It's amazing some of the times how your overcoming comes through someone you never thought. But we're all stuck here trying to figure out, how is this going to happen, God? I just don't know. I just don't know. I don't see the way. I don't see the way. No, you've got to trust the way. Because he'll use a way that you didn't even consider. Come on. And so, they escape with their lives. And they get out. And they go on to do exactly what Paul said. They go to, go to Jerusalem. And he goes on to Rome. But he said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to try and make it small of it. I'm not trying to deny it. It came. We were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even to life. But you ready for this? You ready for what he said next? He said, yeah, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but God who raises the dead. 
You know why Paul was ready to get out there in front of all those people and be ripped to pieces? Because he was trusting in a God who raises the dead, and he already knew in his heart, I'm going to Macedonia, I'm going to Acacia, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to Rome. Come on. When he's already revealed your future, where your destiny is going, you don't have to be worried about the little bump right here. Because it doesn't matter how it happens, you know you're going around it. That's why you stir up hope. You have a confident expectation of good things because Paul trusted in a God who raises the dead. And Paul knew from firsthand experience, what do you think they did? You know when he wrote to Galatians, he says, you see what large letters I've written with my own hand? The reason why, people try to say that he was blind and he was having to write big. No, he's talking about the length of a letter. And the last time that he saw the church at Galatia, he was stoned to death. And where do they hit first when they're stoning someone? Right in the head. Why? Because they're trying to kill you. The last time they saw Paul, when they raised him up from the dead, he probably couldn't see out of his swollen eyes. And he's wanting them to know God has restored. And so Paul was like, I've been raised from the dead. I've been whipped so many times. I've been shipwrecked. God will raise me up one more time because I know I'm not done. And as long as you know you're not done because we have not stepped off into eternity, let the journey go on. Let hope rise again. And let that same spirit that was in Paul said, we trusted not in ourselves, but God who raises the dead. That's the same mentality that was in Abraham. It says, in him who believed God, who gives life to the dead, and he calls those things which do not exist as though they did, and who, contrary to hope, believed in hope. Come on. And so when it feels like I just got to give up, I got to let go, I want to hide this, I don't want anybody to know about it, no. Trust in God who's feeding life into you right now, that he's sustaining you from the inside out, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he dwells in you right now, and he quickens your mortal body. He gives you wisdom. Don't just say, that's a great story, Pastor Jordan. You say, no, I believe, and I'm going over. I don't need to deny what's going on. This is going to be one step into one victory after the next victory after the next victory and I'm going to go from glory to glory I'm going to go from faith to faith that I should not trust in ourselves in myself but God who raises the dead now that was great that was a great preaching opportunity but Paul didn't end it there he said God who delivered us from so great of death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us Paul was saying God de delivering power doesn't exist just in my past it doesn't exist just in my future I'm going to go ahead and speak it into my future as well he will still deliver me if he's done it in the past guess what he'll do it again if he's done it for one he'll do it for another because he's not a respecter of person what he's done for one just as he raised up your daughter John a few weeks ago he'll raise up your family he'll raise up your need you don't have to worry you don't have to get stressed you don't have to get into anxiety you don't have to try and escape from your life go ahead and introduce the solution to it and so Paul said to Philemon oh you forgot about Philemon didn't you he said to Philemon that your participation with your faith will become active or effective as you acknowledge every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. Sometimes you got to have a rehearsal. You got to talk to yourself. You got to remind yourself. Stir up on the inside. 
Just because you didn't wake up in a good mood doesn't mean your mood can't change. Doesn't mean you, you woke up thinking wrong things that you can't change those thoughts. Acknowledge. Rehearse. You know, people look at confession as uh, uh, when we talk about the confession of your faith as, you know, just saying it over and over and over until something happens. No. You're stirring yourself up in remembrance about what he said. He said, you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth. You stir up that faith. You know how else you stir up your faith? You input the word. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You just keep putting it in and reminding yourself of the promise until faith begins to stir. And how do you know when faith has hit the boiling point? You get up and you start to speak and you get up and you begin to act. And if you haven't got into that place where you're willing to say, get out of my way, devil, keep putting that faith in, keep putting that word in, keep stirring it up over and over and over and over until it hits a boiling point. And I love what Mark Hankin says. He's, you'll get so, so up in the spirit of faith that you'll grab a cornstalk, you'll swing out of hell over hell, and you'll spit in the devil's eye. Come on. We go ahead. The spirit of faith will cause you to grab a tiger by the tail, spin it around, and say, you're out of here. That is the spirit of faith. Paul didn't say, no, 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 I don't want to go in there and die. He said, no, I'm ready to die because God will raise me up. You know, Abraham had the same thing when God said, will you sacrifice your son Isaac? He could have said, no, I won't. This is the son of promise you've given me. No. When Isaac said, hey, dad, where's the sacrifice? He said, no, God will provide. Whether he has to raise you from the dead or bring something else, we're both coming down the mountain. That was faith speaking. He knew that God was faithful. And when we talk about this, it's like, I don't have faith to stir up. No, you do. God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. It's whether you're willing to stir it, whether you're willing to use it, whether you're willing to step out and be bold in what God has told you to be bold about. He's given you faith. I don't have more faith than you. You don't have more faith than me. The only difference is what we use. So he's given you faith. And we already read a few weeks ago that Peter said he has begotten us again to a living hope through a resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we've got faith and we've got hope. And hope and faith are not denial. They are an acknowledgement. Yes, there's a problem here. I acknowledge the problem is smaller than God. We sang this morning, we need a miracle. God, you're the miracle maker. I acknowledge the one who moves the mountains. But you do it in participation with him. That's why he said, whoever says unto this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. So if we look at Philemon 1.6 as we're wrapping up here, in the Amplified, he says, I pray that the sharing of your, or your sharing of your faith may become effective and powerful because of your accurate knowledge of every good thing which is ours in Christ. I like how it says that, our accurate knowledge, because some of us just know enough to be a little bit dangerous. Come on, get, get, get enough knowledge that you become real dangerous to the camp of the enemy. Come on. If you're like, well, I'm not sure about that or about that, guess what? You can learn! That's the great thing about being a human being. We can always learn something new if you want to. And so as we acknowledge what's inside of us, as Paul said in Romans chapter 8, it says, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, they set their minds on the things of the spirit. That's acknowledgement. 
I could acknowledge everything natural going on, or I can acknowledge the spiritual element, which is going to conquer this. Right? And he says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So, the question is this morning, what are you acknowledging? I can't answer that for you. But you know where your focus is. And he told us where it should be. We acknowledge. So Toph, why don't you grab, grab your guitar? Father, we just want to take a moment right now. And we want to acknowledge you. We've talked about you this morning. We've read from your word this morning. But we want to take a moment right now. And I acknowledge your greatness in my life. I acknowledge your supply in my life. I acknowledge your wisdom in my life. That there is nothing that I am missing. In my life there is nothing missing. There is nothing broken. That I am complete in you. And so right now I acknowledge you Jesus. I acknowledge that I am seated on the right hand in heavenly places in Christ Jesus with you. I acknowledge that all things have, of my old life have passed away. And I stand in newness of life. That I've become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And because of that, I can participate and partake of all things that you've given unto me. So I don't just leave them on the table, Lord. I acknowledge that they're there. I pick them up. I use them. I run with them. And I thank you, Lord. I'm standing in victory. I thank you, Father, for the grace in which I stand. I thank you that it's not just a little drop. It's not just a little puddle. It's not even a little stream. It's not even a mid-sized lake. It is a great ocean size of grace in which I stand. And by faith, I access that grace that I know it's not by my might. It's not by my strength. It's not by my power. But we know it's by your spirit. And we thank you, Father, that your grace is abundant in my life today. I have received your favor Come on, we're just acknowledging what the Bible has said. Everything I've just been quoting is scriptures from the Bible. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. It's what you've been made to do. We thank you, Father, that you have supplied our every need according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that there's no need that I have that you haven't supplied. I receive richly from you, and I walk in your supply. I use your wisdom. I listen to your voice, and I find myself right where I need to be to prosper in this situation. It doesn't matter if the entire country shuts down in economic collapse. Your word and your voice are still speaking to me, and they lead me into your provision in every season. I thank you I have more than enough to give to the gospel of kingdom Christ. I thank you, Lord, that I have more than enough to support others around me and lift them up and be a blessing to them. I thank you, Father, I have more than enough because of Jesus. And I just listen to your voice. And I'm led into your victory. And I thank you, Father, for it. I thank you, Lord, that my body is whole from the top of my head down to the soles of my feet. That your body was broken so that mine could be healed. That you bore on your body all sickness, all sin, all shame, every adversity. And by your stripes, I was healed. Oh, Father, we just acknowledge all good things that you've given unto us. All things that already exist on the inside of us. I thank you, Father, that my best day is starting today. Hallelujah. It's not yesterday. It's not over. 
It's starting today and moving forward. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes, we thank you, Father. We acknowledge all good things that are on the inside of us through Christ Jesus. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Well, in just a moment, our word care team is going to be up here at the front. They would love to pray with you. They would love to believe with you. They would love to celebrate with you, whatever it is you'd need. Now, they would love to pray with you this morning to receive Jesus. And if you would like to do that this morning, we have some gifts that we'd like to give to you. If you're online, I'd love you to get in contact with us. It's easy to get saved. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. It says who believes. He believes in his heart and he confesses with his mouth. That man shall be saved. So why don't we go ahead and say, Father, I receive Jesus. I believe you raised him from the dead. I believe that he's wiped away my sin. I turn from all else. And I choose to walk in newness of life this day. And so if you prayed that prayer with us online, we would love to get some resources into your hand. If here in this place, if you prayed, we'd love to get some gifts into your hands as well. Guys, don't leave home without stirring yourself up in the acknowledgement of every good thing that is already in you. Pastor Robin, why don't you wrap us up? Well, glory. I'm stirred. I'm stirred. Wow. Well, I'm supposed to take up the offering. I just I need to say a little bit about this, so this is how you can give online. An envelope you want to pay, you know, put some money in there, do it that way, checks, whatever. Um, but I want you to understand something here. We're going to say a confession, and it's the one that this is my seed is what we're going to say. But I want you to understand this, that seed is in your control. We are believers with authority. And so you need to release your authority as you sow seed, as you do anything. Amen. The church is rising up to walk in this authority. That's why we're talking about this. We're not just talking about this because it's a, it's a good subject. We're talking about this because this is the direction of the church in our day. Amen? So it's the believer's authority. So let's, let's say this, but just do the first line first here. This is my seed. So this is yours. The seed is yours. You know, God supplies all the seed to you to sow. So, but he's given it to you, so then it becomes your seed, so it's an in your control. Yeah. And, and I don't receive off of your seed, and you don't receive off of my seed. I plant my seed. You plant your seed. Yeah. Amen. So now, this is my seed. Now, we, we know that it's ours. We acknowledge it's ours. Now we're going to give it into the kingdom of God when we sow it. Amen? All right? So what we have here is we have start and we have, we have destination. All right? So let's carry on. And keep your authority in mind as you're doing this. The seed, do what you do best, grow. Okay? So we speak to things, you know, as if they don't, as if they exist, amen? Things that do not exist, as if they do so. Now we're saying this, we, you know, we, we take the seed and we're sowing it into the kingdom of God, amen? And we speak because we have authority. It's the way we were designed, we were made like God. So God spoke things into existence, we're speaking this into existence, amen? Because you're using your authority, you're using your faith, amen? I saw you to spread the gospel, I saw you to strengthen believers, see, you're directing it. You're directing it where it's going to do, what it's going to do, how it's going to do it. I saw you to go where I cannot. I saw you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient 
I walk in abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you believe that? Amen. So then as you sow today or you sow online or whenever you do it, you keep that in mind that you're in control. You have a believer's authority to be in control of what you do with that. Amen? Amen. Oh, we are a blessed bunch. We are blessed to be a blessing. Amen? Amen. All right. So stay, stay hooked up. Don't disconnect. Amen? Stay, stay hooked up with us all in that fellowship and companionship as we go throughout this week. Amen? Amen. Amen.